And we're just glad you're here. Um, I'm sure... I'm sure you're glad you're here, but there might be some of you who are afraid to be here this morning, and I just want to start off right off the bat, that's okay. It's okay, you know, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be worried. I promise you, though, we're not going to point you out. We're not going to do anything that, that causes you to get attention drawn to you. If the, you don't want the attention, if you want the attention, you can stand up. Okay, so nobody wants the attention. But um, we're not going to point anything out. We just want you to relax and, and just enjoy the service. We're going to go through a lot of, of the story of Easter, and we're going to start before Easter morning and go back to the cross. So we're going to start there, but, but I just want to pray for us again as we get started, and we'll get started right into what we're talking about this morning. God, we thank you that, that this morning we get to celebrate, and, and Father, help us to see not only that you rose from the dead, but help us to see at what cost you went to the grave. Uh, help us to see that, that it wasn't just somebody dying and coming back to life, but there's a lot more to it than that. Father, we want to see you this morning. We want this to be about you and nothing else, not about me, not about anything that we can do, but, but uh, glorify yourself in this time in your name. Amen. Got another video to watch. When I was a little girl, I loved getting gifts. I loved birthday presents, Christmas presents, and encouraged my parents to celebrate other holidays, including my half birthday. I particularly liked Easter because it usually involved chocolate. <laughs> I love chocolate way too much, but I do. One Easter when I was eight, my parents brought out an exquisite looking gift. It was perfectly wrapped with shiny gold wrapping paper, neatly cut, folded, and taped. You couldn't even see the tape. And on top sat a red ribbon that was just waiting to be untied. I asked if it was for me. My daddy said it was and that it was a very special gift. I was so excited to open it, I could barely stand it. When Easter morning arrived, I was bursting with excitement. I asked if I could finally open it, and well, they said I could. So I quickly took the present in my hands, untied the ribbon, ripped off the top, and looked inside the box. I stared in disbelief at what I saw before letting out a big old wail. That's right, I cried. Fortunately, my parents knew what I probably hoped it would be, and so they also handed me a bag of chocolates and a stuffed Easter bunny. And that's what I really wanted, <laughs> the important stuff. We're not going to watch it again yet. We'll watch it later. Well, we're in, a, we, we're in a series right now that we're calling Ironic, and um, I forgot to put on my cool glasses. They're back in my office over there, but um, they look kind of like that. Not as cool, not as Drew Carey-ish, but, you know, they're cool anyway. And, but I not, I'm not cool enough to pull them off, so it's probably better off that they stay back in the back. But um, we're in the series Ironic, and and when we, what we've been doing, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, and Jesus' life was probably the most ironic life that ever existed. We started a few weeks back talking about his birth and how, how a king would be born and, and how that's ironic that, that Jesus was born in the exact, probably opposite way 
of what a king would be born. And then we talked last week about how Jesus lived, and the life that Jesus lived was probably the total opposite of how Jesus lived because he didn't live as a king would live. He didn't have servants. He didn't live in a castle. He lived in a totally selfless and serving way. It was totally, totally different from what the world expected. Well, there's this word that's been thrown around lately, ironic, and if, if you are looking for some kind of meaning in the way the word is getting used, I promise you, you're not going to find it, but we, are, we actually have meaning attached to the word this morning, and so we've got a definition for ironic that I want you guys to look at this morning. Irony, there's irony in there somewhere, irony, 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 there we go is the use of words to convey a meaning that is the opposite of its literal meaning. Everyone knows that that's ironic, right? When, or it's, it's an outcome of events contrary to what was or might have been expected. So, so that's what we mean when we're talking about ironic. So it's something that wasn't expected, something different than what we had planned, something that different that everyone expected. Well, there's also this word that everyone's using now that's, that's a hipster. Everyone heard the word hipster? Hipster? I tried to dress kind of like a hipster this morning, but, but I'm not cool enough to be a hipster because I w- I'm trying to be a hipster. So this is the definition of a hipster. Trying to be untrendy and thinking that you have your own style. They're, they're the anti-trend followers who try to be as obscure as they can in hopes to be perceived as intellectual and unique. In order to be a true hipster, you cannot call yourself a hipster. Identifying yourself as such automatically disqualifies you from being a hipster. So being a true hipster is based on denial and self-negation. So the, the, the fact that I'm trying to be a hipster makes me not a hipster because I'm trying to be a hipster. So true hipsters are those that, that are this way unintentionally. This is just who they are. And so we talked about how Jesus is, well, he was the true hipster because he was the most you know, self-denial man. He, he was the guy that, that totally put himself aside. He, he was totally counter to culture, and that's kind of what hipsters are, although they're becoming the culture now, so the whole thing is, is losing its meaning, if there is meaning. But the, the hipsters were, were trying to be opposite of culture, right? And while Jesus was totally, so we've said Jesus is the ultimate hipster. We don't want to, we're not trying to demean Jesus, um, but we do think he was cool. All right, so, so those, are, those are the words ironic and hipster. Well, this morning, what are we going to be talking about? You just saw a video about it. I want to contrast to you two different, two different ideas. We have how the world gives, and then we have how Jesus gives. As the world gives and how Jesus gives. Have any of you ever gotten a gift and immediately been disappointed? You can raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to point out who gave it to you. Okay, yeah. So I've, I, I was trying to remember. Well, I can't remember when I was immediately disappointed, but, but I do remember this. Um, my wife and I are coming up on our 10-year wedding anniversary, and you know, we're excited about that. You, you can clap for her. She's the one that deserves the praise for putting up with me. But at, at, when we got married, we got all kinds of gifts. We got every kind of gidget and widget and gasmo and wismo and possible thing because, you know, we had a lot of people who loved us, so they gave us a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things we asked for because we had seen an inf- infomercial about it was the perfect pancake. Anyone, anyone ever gotten a perfect pancake? Okay, so, so we got this perfect pancake, and we were, we were newlyweds. You know, we didn't have a lot of preconceived notions about what 
what, what cooking was, although my wife was a great cook and she'd been cooking her whole life. I, I cooked pancakes a little bit growing up, but that was about it. Macaroni and cheese once in a while. And those pasta boxes. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I, I would not have been very well nourished if I was without my wife. But we got this thing, it's called the perfect pancake. We thought, oh man, it's great, you can get the perfect pancake every time, right? So the, you get it, and well, here's a picture of it. Does anyone see a flaw in the design? Okay, there's a very serious flaw in the design of this product. So you pour the batter into the bottom, that's the, how it is, that's the bottom. You pour the batter, and then, and then you close the top down, right? So you're pouring in this batter, and I want to emphasize that it's liquid that you're pouring in. And so you put it on the stove, and then a couple minutes later, you're supposed to be able to flip it. Well, so the first time my wife puts it on the stove, lets it cook for a couple, mo- couple minutes, and then goes to flip it, and batter everywhere. Batter comes out the sides. You see there's no, it's not fully enclosed. So when you go to flip the pancake, batter explodes everywhere. So, well, she must have done it wrong. So I come alongside. <laughs> Let's see how you really do this, right? Do the exact same thing. Fill it up with batter. We, we measured the batter, how much batter you're supposed to put in. Put the batter in. Put it on the stove. Wait a couple minutes. Flip it. Just as much batter all over the kitchen, all over the plants, all over the window, all over everything. There was batter everywhere. This product did not live up to our expectations. It was not all that it was cracked up to be. We were expecting a perfect pancake, and instead, we got a big mess. Well, there's another way the world gives. I grew up in southern Ohio. And uh, we had a few apple trees, and my dad was always working on these apple trees to try and get these things to produce fruit. Got a picture of an apple. Doesn't that look good? I mean, mmm. Well, so I, I went out one day, and there were actually some apples on the tree, and I saw this big apple on the tree, and I grabbed it, polished it up on my shirt. I think I was wearing a flannel shirt because I was in southern Ohio, and that's what people in southern Ohio wear. Polished it up. Great big bite. I mean, like, as big of a bite as I could take. But we don't spray our trees. <laughs> so what was inside the apple was not just apple. There was a little extra protein. Um, and there was a great big worm, a great big wiggly worm. And the whole inside of the apple was rotten. It looked fine. I didn't see a wormhole, you know, like you would expect. I just didn't see anything. But I took this big bite of this apple and it was totally rotten on the inside. It looked great. It looked like, like you would expect an apple to look. But then once I got on the inside, I was very disappointed. The apple didn't stay in my mouth for long, just in case you're wondering. I did not swallow. Um, have you ever been dissatisfied by something like that? Have you ever been disappointed in a gift? Or how about, how about just in life? You came to life expecting certain things. You know, you grow up, and once you grow up and become an adult, or as you're, as you're young and you're growing up, and you're thinking about becoming an adult, you expect that all of these great things are going to happen. 
And then you get a little bit down the road and you find out that they're not happening and that you find out the things that do happen are a lot of work and it's not as rewarding as you thought it was going to be. And, and there's just all this disappointment that ends up coming out of life. It's, you know what I mean? I mean, you try so hard. You, you think the world owes you all of this stuff. But when you get it, you're disappointed. We work hard for, for a nice house, but then we can't afford the house payments. We work hard for a nice car, but then we get in a wreck with the car, or some jerk like me comes up and tailgates you and, and makes you really nervous, and so it's not as fun because you're nervous about, about your nice car. Or, or we work hard at our marriage, and then for some reason our marriage just falls apart. See, when, the, when, we, when we think about how the world gives and, and we're looking for, for meaning about the world, well, I just think we're looking for something that the world can't give. Well, why is that? Well, we have to go back a long, long way to find out why the world is like it is. See, God created, we believe at this church, and, and we believe that God created this, this world that we live in. We believe that God created us as people. And then we believe that God created Adam and Eve, right? We, have you guys heard of Adam and Eve, right? You know, mother and father of all living things. Um, all living people, anyway. But... That's bad theology. We don't need to go there. But um, Adam and Eve, right? So they were created at the very beginning, and, and God created them in his image. That's, that's what we read in the, in the first part of Genesis, that God created them in his image. So God created man and woman to be like God. And then he made this world, and he made this garden, and he, he put them in charge of all the animals and all the garden and all of this wonderful stuff, and he walked in the garden with them. He was present with them. God was there all the time in the midst of Adam and Eve. And there was one rule, one rule that they weren't to break. They could do anything they wanted, but they had this one rule. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, so what happens? Well, the serpent comes along and says, did God really say? And question, and then Adam and Eve gave in. and Well, Eve took the bite of the apple, and all of the men of the world blame Eve for all of this problem, but let's be real, guys. If we were there, and we knew that we could know everything and be like God, like the serpent was promising, right? We'd want to take a bite of the apple too, right? We'd want to know good and evil. We'd want to be like God. So Adam took a bite. And in that one instance, they broke the one command that God had given them, and in that one single act, the world changed. The world went from being this place that God had created for Adam and Eve to being something that they could enjoy and love, to being a place of pain, to being a place of sin and, and bondage and wrath and war and lies and darkness. The world became all of these things in one act. But God created us just like he created Adam and Eve, knowing we would reject him in the same way. God, created Ad God knew Adam and Eve were going to bite the fruit. God knew that they were going to make that mistake. Just like God knows all the mistakes that we're going to make. God knows. That's the amazing thing is that God created us anyway, knowing we would reject him. Knowing that we would choose sin over him.
Okay, well, what is sin? Sin is rejecting God. Sin is breaking God's command. Sin is, is doing those things that God says that, that he has good reasons for us not to do, but we just decide that we're, we're smarter than God and, and, we, and we need to do that thing. So we call it, we do sin. Well, the Bible says that all have sinned. So let me ask a question. Is, is there anyone here who has not sinned? Anyone? Now, Brian in the back. I knew Brian. Brian, was, he's a Ducks fan, so he thinks he's perfect. We all have, right? And here's what you need to know. Even if you lived a perfect life, it only takes one sin. It only takes one. It's the one sin. Adam and Eve, it was the one sin that led to those things. Well, you don't have to read very far in that first book of Genesis to see that God wasn't very happy about their decision. He says that, that this, this, will, this will cause you pain. He says to, the, to Eve, this is going to cause you pain. He says to Adam, this is, this is going to cause you to have to work hard and toil and do all these hard things now. And God closed off the garden so that they couldn't be in the garden, so that they couldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever knowing good and evil. You see, God is, God is a holy God. God hates sin, and also we believe that God cannot sin. So for a God who hates sin and a God who cannot sin, then sin is, is something that he cannot even be in the presence of. Sin is something that he can't be a part of. So sin is something that he hates, and when he hates something, well, then, then he has wrath for it. So we enter this world where sin reigns, where wrath reigns, and, and war, and bondage, and slavery, and well, I suppose we should actually read some scripture this morning. Romans 5, 12 to 14, I think we have to read. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But there is no counting for sin when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam who is a type of the coming one, transgressed. That is a lot of stuff that's hard to understand. But the thing that we need to point out is, is that right there, yet death reigned from Adam until Moses. Death reigned from Adam until Moses. Death reigned even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam and Eve did. Death reigned. From the time that they took that bite, from the time they disobeyed and walked away from God, death reigned reigned. Death was in, was in control. Sin had created this world of death and this world that God had created for life. I don't think God felt very good about that. In fact, we go on just a little bit. Anyone see The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, the movie? So we're gonna, there, That's more than a cartoon. That's actually a story right out of the Bible. I know it's outdated now, but when it came out, it was really cool. For Christians, anyway, it was really cool. Maybe you didn't think so. But, the, but basically, the, the whole point of that movie is about the ten plagues. You, you remember the ten plagues? Well, turned all the water into blood. The land was overrun with frogs. All this nasty stuff is happening that God is doing because of his wrath 
on Pharaoh because Pharaoh was holding his people slaves. Pharaoh was holding God's chosen people slaves. Pharaoh is holding them bondage. God wants them free. So we go through all these ten plagues and we come to the hardest one to understand, but we have to know about it because of what it represents. So God was going to send the last plague, the tenth plague, which was to kill all of the firstborn in the land. Pharaoh had not listened through nine plagues that had brought torture and disease and, and drought and all of these awful things on the land. He just didn't pay attention. God hardened his heart and Pharaoh hardened his heart. So it came to this tenth thing, came to the end. God said, enough. So he told the people of Israel, his chosen people, and he set it up this way, this is going to be a feast, this is going to be a celebration you remember forever. You're going to celebrate for a week. We're going to call it Passover. Because you're going to sacrifice a lamb, and you're going to take, it just sounds awful, take a lamb's blood and, and put it up over the doorposts of your house. You're going to take this blood of this, this innocent lamb and put it up over the doorposts of your house. And that's how God will know not to come into your house and to kill your firstborn. So they did. And in that night, in the middle of the night, there was great weeping and mourning because God came and did what he said he was going to do. Because God is holy and cannot live with sin. God is holy and has a plan for his people that leads to freedom. So he did what he promised. And he protected every single one of those who had put blood on their doorpost. Well, now we fast forward to an event that happened approximately 1,985 years ago. We just celebrated, maybe some of you celebrated, maybe some of you heard of it, Good Friday. Just as God had wrath for the sin of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and all the things he did, he had also wrath for his people because they weren't living by the command that he gave. They weren't living according to his rules. They weren't living according to what he said. And since God is holy and he cannot, he cannot live where there is sin, he had to do something to bring man to a place to bring us to a place where, where we could again be in his presence, where we could be like he intended in the beginning in the garden. So this time he sent his son to walk the earth, to live the life for us to watch so that we could see his example. And he lived a perfect life. The only person in history to live perfectly. He had no sin. He was both God and man. And it's a concept that's hard to understand, and it's a concept that's hard to explain. But, but he, because he was God and because he was man, he had no sin. And because he had no sin, he could carry our sins. 
And that's exactly what happened. God poured out his wrath on his own son, who was blameless and faultless. Just like the sheep, just like the lamb that they killed to put the blood over their doorposts so that they would be protected from the Spirit of God coming through to slaughter. God poured out wrath on his son, who was blameless, faultless. See, because this was what ruled the world. If you read, if you read the, the Old Testament, if you read the, the whole first you know, two-thirds of the Bible, this is what you see. You see sin. You see bondage. You see wrath. You see war. You see lies. You see darkness. You see guilt. And you see God bringing His darkness on the earth as a form of His wrath because He is so dissatisfied with what is going on. And when this rules, there's a consequence. But God loves us. God, remember, God created us. Remember that part at the very beginning? God creating us knowing we would choose sin over him. So he sent his son to face death in our place. He sent his son to die a cruel death on the cross while we were still sinners. There's a video I want us to watch, and we're going to take communion after that, but just watch this video and let it, let it sink in what Christ did. So this is something that might be confusing to you if you aren't familiar with church, but we do this thing called communion. And the reason we do it is because the night before Jesus died, he met with his disciples and, and they had a meal together. Their last meal You know what that meal was celebrating? The Passover. The meal was celebrating the Passover that they had been celebrating for thousands of years. And now Jesus would the very next day become the permanent sacrifice for our sins. That's that's what was happening in that night. So we, you, know, you hold in your hands this, this cup of juice and a little cracker because when the Jews left Egypt in the middle of the night like they were told, like they had been given the freedom, they didn't have time to put yeast in their bread. Pharaoh just wanted them out of there. So we have a piece of bread that, that doesn't have any yeast in it and, and a cup of grape juice that represents the wine that they would have drank. See, what you hold in your hand isn't magic. We, we don't think that this is magic. We don't think that, that, that when we pray, maybe in a minute, that, that this juice is going to become Jesus' actual blood. I mean, we're not cannibals. We, we don't think that this is blood and that this is flesh. It just represents the new world. It represents why Jesus came. It represents what we call the new covenant. The new covenant that Jesus came. See, before the foundation of the world, do you remember that? Before the foundation of the world, it was just in that video, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to adopt us as his children, paid for with the blood of Jesus. This was a bold move. This had never been done before. There was never a king that had sent his son to die for his people 
and the hope that they would be saved for all of eternity. This had never happened before. God had never died. And yet, Jesus was mocked. This God-man, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, he was mocked. He was beaten. He was spit upon. You ever been spit on? He was interrogated, grueling interrogated questions. He was whipped. He was laughed at. He was made to wear a crown of thorns. He, he was made to carry his own cross that he would die on. He was pierced for our sins with nails in his hands and his feet and with a spear in his sides. He was, he was wounded for our mistakes. And they nailed him to that cross and he was naked. Totally humiliated. For hours. And then there on the cross, they, they mocked him some more. If you're God, save yourself! And at the very end, he was betrayed by his father. One of his last words was, was Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have, has anyone ever been betrayed by somebody? Has anyone ever been, been left alone? Has anyone ever had their, someone turn their back on you? Well, take that and multiply it by, well, literally infinity, because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had been together in perfect union for all of time. And there in those last moments on the cross, the Father turned his back on the Son so that Christ would understand. Christ knew everything. Christ felt everything that we could possibly feel. Christ bore it all. And that's, that's what makes Easter. So I, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to you know, preach you know, hellfire and brimstone. I'm not trying to scare you into making some kind of choice. I just want you to understand why this is great. Because when we come to Easter morning, it's great because Jesus rose from the dead because he conquered that. So we come to this time. We're going to take this cup. Everyone is welcome to take this cup because we believe it represents a sacrifice that was given for all of you. This was a sacrifice once for all mankind, once for every single person that walks the face of the planet. And even if you don't believe it yet, even if you don't understand it yet, even if you're not sure about it yet, we want you to know that you are welcome to take this maybe just in a step of faith, maybe just a step. I don't believe, I don't understand. I, I, I can't grasp this whole thing yet. I can't put my, my head around it, but okay, somebody died for me. I'm willing to drink to that. So, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, that very night, one of his followers, this just shows just how much Jesus understands. One of his followers who had been with him for years turned his back on him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. 
could have been a few hundred, a few thousand dollars. Just turned them over. And that night, Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together. And he had a cup, a cup that would represent his blood, where we remind ourselves today the blood that was shed for our sins. He said, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. See, we really believe this stuff. This isn't just fiction to us. This isn't just a story. This isn't just a book or a good man. We believe that his death equals freedom from sin. So I don't know if you've ever known anyone that's died. It's a cruel thing. Death is cruel. And that's why Jesus came. See, when you die, you are free from sin. You cannot sin anymore. It's just what happens after that. But death is freedom from sin. And see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, Christ died for us. And just as sin entered the world through one man, one death covered a multitude of sins. If death death reigned through sin, how much more will grace reign through our new life in Christ? By the sin of that one man, if if by the sin of that one man, death reigned, remember that? Death reigned through the one. How much more will we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ? But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children, children not born of human parents, but by God. Those who have received him, are now covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we believe. See, it was ironic for, for a king to die. This is the best part. This is, this is why you're here this morning, whether you know it or not. This is why you're here. This is the part we've all been waiting for. This, this is the climax of the story right here. It's not just that Jesus died, but this is, this is the climax that, that Jesus rose from the dead. By his own power, he came back to life. That's the ultimate irony. Because <laughs> nobody, 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 nobody has ever died and brought themselves back to life. There have been people who have come back to life after being dead, but they were brought back to life by somebody. But the resurrection is the ultimate irony because he's the only king who didn't stay dead. He lived, he died, and then he lived again. Resurrection then equals this new life. It equals this gift from God where, where we are now in a time of, of grace, not sin, grace, and freedom, and life. Not death, but life. Peace, truth, light, hope, joy. Do you see the contrast? This is how the world gives. When you're, when you're looking for something from the world, this is what you get. When you're looking for, for a gift from the world, it might be all wrapped up in a shiny package with a nice pretty bow on it, but it's, it's going to eventually become this. It's, it's never going to live up what you think it's going to. But when, when you give as Jesus gives, who, who gave everything, when you get that from Jesus, 
You get grace and life and freedom. You see, it's by this grace that we are saved. All of us who are here, who are celebrating, who have already accepted this, we understand that this is grace. This is, this is what saves us. And it's not from ourselves. This is not anything we can do. It's not the law that, that, that the people were trying to live up to. This is grace. This is truth. This is, this is a new life, and it's free. <laughs> it's a free gift. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You can't buy it. It's just there for the asking. It's not from works so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship having, workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. You see, God had a plan from the beginning. God had a plan when he created us, when he was thinking about creating us before the world began. He had a plan that we would do good works. That's why God prepared us. You see, Jesus doesn't give as the world gives. In fact, he says in John chapter 14, I don't give as the world gives. It's a peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Don't let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. See, this gift that I give, here he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and, and that's a totally different story that we can't get into today, but I wish we could. But it's, it's God's presence here in us, and, and we believe, yeah, you can go ahead and fall off there. You see, we believe God left his presence when, when he ascended into heaven because he now is in heaven sitting at the right hand of God the Father, but he, but he sent his presence, and that, that's what he's talking about. I don't give as the world gives. I don't give you something and take it away. I don't give you something that's going to disappoint. I give you me, and I leave you with me. You see the difference? God doesn't give you a disappointment. God gives you eternal relationship, eternal relationship with him. See, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the resurrection. And Jesus is the life. Jesus is all that is good with the world. And sin and hell and death is all that is wrong. Are you getting the idea between the two worlds? We have two worlds and, and some of us are still torn, but, but we don't have to be torn anymore because Jesus came and God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the verse right after one that everyone probably knows because you've seen it on a sign of football games, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. You see, death doesn't reign anymore. Death does not reign anymore. Grace reigns. Life reigns. Truth reigns. And ultimately, Jesus reigns. Jesus is why we're here today. Jesus is what we're going to celebrate because he is the resurrection. The gift of Easter The gift of Easter, it ain't no bunny, it ain't no peeps, it ain't no little tiny thing that you're going to be disappointed with because I don't know if you've ever eaten a peep, but it ain't what you think it's going to be. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give that way. The resurrection, the gift of Easter is new life. It's a new world. It's a new plan, and it's a new thing for you if you just choose to accept it. So, my question for us today is this. Where are you? Where, what world are you living in? Are you living in the world that, that reigns, that, that's encircled with all these things like death and sin and punishment and then 
slavery and bondage, pain. Are you dissatisfied with life because you're seeking something from the world that only God can give? Have you just found yourself bouncing around from shiny thing to shiny thing, trying to find some kind of answer, trying to find some kind of meaning in life, but you're looking for something that the world can't give? Are you in a place of disillusionment because the hope that you keep hoping to find in the world slips away? Is life pressing down on you right now? Is, is there, maybe you are walking through a valley and you don't see a way out. I know somebody who's been through worse. Are you at war with yourself and God? Are you, yeah. What has God ever done for me? How many times have you heard that? What does God ever do for me? If you don't know that by now, are you wandering through the darkness, bouncing from hopeless, hopeless, hopeless? Are you in bondage to sin? Are you in bondage to your life? Are you wrapped up in a bow of lies? Well, we started that video called The Gift of Easter. Let's, let's finish that right now. I don't know where you are today, but I know that the, the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I know this too. I know if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. Look, if anyone is in Christ, he put to death, death. Death died. We can be a new creation this morning. But we... I don't know if this makes you uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know what you're feeling right now. Some of you may be feeling doubt. I just can't believe this. I can't believe that God would do that for me. So far ago, I, so long ago, I just can't believe it. I don't know where you are today. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't, know, I don't know what you're feeling. But I know if you can just take one step, if you can just take one step toward Jesus, maybe... Maybe you can just pray this prayer. Maybe you can pray, God, would you show yourself to me? I, I want to believe there's, there's a story of a man in the Bible that Jesus healed his son or his daughter, and, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. He, he wanted to believe. He just he, he couldn't believe all the way. Maybe you need to pray that prayer this morning. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe you're just not sure. Maybe if you just pray that prayer, God, show yourself to me. God, show yourself to me. I want to believe you. I want to know you. I want to accept this miracle. Would you help me? Let's bow our heads together. I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. We're going to, we're going to finish this service by celebrating Jesus' resurrected life. We're going to finish by, with, a, with a big celebration, with, with big rejoicing. But I want to give you a chance today that maybe, maybe you're ready to make that decision right now. And if, you, if you're ready, here's all you have to do. One, admit that you're a sinner. It's as simple as the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. 
and rose from the, from the grave to give you a new life. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and then see, confess your sins, and commit your life to him. I'm going to give you two options. If, that's, if, if the first one is too big of a step, then we have a second one. You heard about the communication card earlier, and it's in the chair in front of you. You can grab one of those, and on the back of that, there's a box. I want to know more. I still have questions. I, I would like someone to help me understand the questions. I want to pursue Jesus, but I don't know how. Just check that box, and we'll get in touch with you. We're going to take the offering here in just a minute. But just drop that in there. I have questions, but I need help. But maybe you're here this morning, and you already know that you're ready to make that decision. So in this time, I'm just going to ask, with, with everyone looking down, with, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand and look up at me? If you want to make a decision, if you want to follow Christ, if, you, if you're ready to put death to death, if you're ready to put sin behind you, if you're ready to, to step out of the world of bondage, if you're ready to step out of, of all of the stuff that has entangled you and kept you from living the life that, that you know you could live, if you're ready to take that step out, and you're ready to step into this new life, a resurrected life, a life with Jesus, and raise your hand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to do anything to scare you, to draw attention to you. And the second option is fill out that card. Put it in the offering. We're going to have a couple guys up here at the front for the last couple of songs. And if you want to come up and pray for anything, if you want, if you want someone to pray with you for, for something you're struggling with, if you want someone to pray with you to receive Christ, if you want someone to just, to just pray with you and you don't even know why, well, you can come forward. They'll be standing up here on the sides of the stage, and you can do that. But let me pray for us. Father, I admit that I was a sinner, and I still make plenty of mistakes today, but I believe that you sent your son to die in my place so that I could live a new life. those sins and I commit my life to you again anew this resurrection morning celebrate you in this new life if there is someone here this morning that that needs to put their faith in you if there's someone that's just afraid to take that step I pray that you would that you would empower them that they would be able to see that you are stronger than their doubts that you are stronger than their fears and that this love that conquered death is a love that is available to us today. 